Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian, with me as always is Vince, and joining us for a second go-round in the co-host seat, our friend Walter Richardson. Hey Walt. Hello. Thank you for coming back. No problemo. So, does, does Brian have like pictures of you or something that that <laughs> you were so easy to get back on here? No, no, I just have my own uh, feeling of self-loathing and all that, so <laughs> don't need any assistance in that regard. Yeah. He comes yeah. on this show to feel better about himself, is what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, we're going to start with uh, Batman the Detective, number two, by Tom Taylor and Andy Kubert. Walt, why don't you start us off with this? What did you think of this issue? And this, I guess, what do you, what do you think of the first two issues, since we haven't talked about this book with you yet? Sure, yeah, and I think I, I listened to the episode where you guys first talked about this one, but I think I kind of... At that point, I wasn't planning on reading it, so I kind of had tuned that out. I mean, for what it is, it's it's good, you know, a a Kubert vehicle. Um, that's what it is, and that's fine. Um, it, it looks great. Um, I think, I think you know the kind of like old, not quite Dark Knight Returns, Bruce, but kind of. Um, isn't really like the most like interesting take but even then like every now and then um taylor taylor gets in like some some of those good moments that everyone uh knows him for of you know just like kind of getting these characters i i think that we like i said i think with that kind of uh that kind of take on the character we get less of that but there's still some um it's in short it's a Perfectly cromulent um, Batman story. Yeah. But I just feel like there isn't much to say about it beyond that. I, I, I concur with that. My first note was that this is better than it has any right to be in a lot of ways. Like, this is a book that's never going to be followed up by anything. It's not going to impact Bat stories for years to come. It's not going to – it's probably arguably never going to be considered in continuity. But Tom Taylor has – proven himself to be a really adequate writer of unnecessary stories like right. going back to deceased and whatnot and i think he just what he's really good at is he kind of finds a hook and then finds a way to make that hook make you care about that hook more than you thought you did and that's certainly how i feel about this i thought that the henry ducard stuff henri ducard rather it was you know was relatively right. fun and uh you know, it it was just, it was a fun issue. Again, nothing earth shattering, but fun enough. Vince, what did you think? Yeah, I think I'm more or less with you guys. I, I'm probably a little less jazzed on it than it sounds like you guys are. Um, but you know, not by much. I mean, what Walt said about it being a vehicle for uh, Andy Kubert is spot on, and and you know, if if the penciling itself doesn't uh stun me all that much like i think kubert's done like better looking work than this but i the the staging of things and the the like he he just knows how to tell a uh comic story through art in a way that you know m most artists just don't like most artists just go through the motions right at at, at dc and marvel i should yeah. say 
Yeah, know? there's that there's that one really sick uh, page. It's the six panel fight with uh, Ducard and these uh, yeah these uh, Batman imitators, whatever. I don't think they've actually called themselves anything yet. I right? don't think so. No, the white yeah. bats or whatever. Yeah, that the that was just you know sick. You know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Not much else to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's just it's just cool to look at. It's cool to see, and and it's it's kind of you know like a, a master of the visual structure at work there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the the. The stuff that I'm not jazzed about is is just kind of how boilerplate Batman this is. So, like, it starts off with Batman doing some very boilerplate detective work. Mm-hmm. There's a very boilerplate conversation with um, the new Squire about, uh, well, wh- why did Knight choose you? And, like, it's basically retelling any Robin story you want to, you know, like... It's just an, it's just another Robin story. Yeah. Only, only Batman's the one hearing about it. Um, and just you know, really standard. The the villains, like we like you said, we can't even we don't even know what they're called. They're just literally like palette swapped Batman costumes. <laughs> so so everything here story wise is is pretty boilerplate for me. But but like Walt said, you, you get towards the end and kind of the action starts. And yeah, it's just it's sick to look at this last page where where he falls and like falls into Batman's arms and just the the staging of all of that and the juxtaposition of 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 Ducard falling and then the 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 kind of white bat leader saying he always fucking saves them you know yeah. like that that part just like it hums you know it's like it's got a really nice rhythm to it. And so by the end, I'm like, ah, God damn it. I'm charmed by this, even though I feel like so much of it is is very disposable in the greater Batman canon. Oh, you sure. Know? Yeah, there, there's nothing really um, lasting about this. But I, no. I, I do want to say one thing about Andy Kubert, too. I feel like, you know, there was a there were a couple of guys in this um, generation of the second generation of artists, you know, like. They're Joe, you know, Joe Kubert's kids, Andy and Adam, and then John Romita Jr., who all kind of burst on the scene at, at around the same time. But I think that for all those guys, I think that Andy Kubert's artwork has held up the best. And I, I think agree. He, I think he continues to refine what he's doing in a, as opposed to just repeating what he's doing. Like, JRJR, I don't think has done anything really great in a long time. And I think when you see his stuff, very rarely do you see sort of a new trick in his bag, whereas I feel like Andy Kubert still manages to innovate within his work. Right. And that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, yeah, because, yeah, not to not to shit on uh, JRJR too much, but, like, even if I don't like his, his line work very much anymore, there, there's, there's also not really anything in the the sequencing or the staging or the or the flow of his work anymore that shows any invention you know i i think and right. and you can't say that about kubert so now walt have you read anything that adam kubert has done in the last couple of years i it's been quite a while i think was it I, I can't the wolverine series at marvel i believe so but i wasn't i wasn't reading that i think i read an issue of that maybe Vince, have you read anything from Ant- from Adam? Well, Wolverine was done by um, 
what's his name? The Greg Capullo ripoff. Um, <laughs> um, Which one? <laughs> the one, the new Superman one. Um, oh, Victor Bogdanovic. Yeah, thank you, thank you. But yeah, yeah, Bogdanovic did some, but I thought yeah. they... I, I thought Hubert had done some of that too. Maybe they did half and half because that book did have two stories in it yeah. to start off with. Um, that could be right. Yeah, he's he's the Marvel boy uh, right. for sure. Um, so I, I, as a consequence, I don't see his work as Same. much. Same. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. That that is far more than I thought we'd get out of Batman: The Detective Number Two. So <laughs> <laughs> let's move let's move on to Batman: Urban Legends Number Three. And uh, there are four stories in this, and we'll try and tackle each of them relatively quickly. The first is the Red Hood story, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Eddie Barrows at all. Um, Vince, I know you, among me and Zach, you are you were the least high on this story. Has it has it grown on you at all, or are you still not enjoying this story? Uh, um, there are moments where. I look at this and I really like what it's doing, but something about it is still keeping me at arm's length. Um, and it, it might be as simple as the art, which I, I'm not, man, I'm, 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 I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm a little out on Barrows and there's a lot of Barrows faces on this issue. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I used to be a fan, but I think my tastes are changing or something, but like the stuff with um, the stuff with uh, Bruce and Jason, where he's like, uh, "You've never been what much for detective work, but we'll make one out of you yet," or something like that. And then it flashes back to how you know Bruce is trying to teach him the detective side of being a vigilante, and 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 Jason's not really connecting with it. And I, I think that stuff is really it's strong character work for Jason, and, and it's a good way to differentiate him uh as a as a young like the young robin version of him which i i feel like i feel like the only way that most writers differentiate them is like he's made to be kind of a brooding robin which but, if you read like jason todd's stories in the in the proper time period he was is not, not. Brooding at all no yeah, no exactly. he was not he loved like there's a scene in in one of the first uh batman jason robin stories from back then when like they're at a circus and Jason is just like so jazzed to be there doing a mission and he's like popping popcorn in his mouth and he's like happy go lucky. And that, that is like, when I read that, I was surprised because retroactively I just think of him as like the, the brooding Robin, you know, but that's not. Thank but you. I good think that, yeah. But I think this is a really interesting side of Jason, but then I also think that like, they almost take it too, like they almost pour it on too thick where he's like, I'm going to go crack some skulls. This detective work is for the birds, you know, like, <laughs> like I, he, Zdarsky almost doubles down on that too much. I don't, I don't know. I, so, something about this is just, I'm warming to it, but it's, it's still keeping me at a distance somehow. Well, what about you? I'd, pr- I'd pretty much agree. I think that the stuff with Jason and Bruce, um, you know, I, I recently caught up with this um, story because I wasn't reading it at first. Um, and I think that the stuff with Jason and Bruce is like a much needed, you know, kind of shot in the arm. Um, I, I think it's some of the better stuff. And I think that in some ways, uh, 
Zdarsky writes a better Bruce than Jason. Uh, no, I've just never really been a fan of Jason since he came back. Um, I, I've, I've gone back and read some of the old 80s stuff with him. And I like, you know, that Robin uh, portrayal of Jason, as we said, very different from how he's often characterized now. Um, but I just kind of have like kind of like a natural lack of interest in the character though I, I guess we'll talk about that a little more when it comes to uh, the future state book um so i thought i thought this was fine but you know it, just like vince it, it's still not really like i'm not loving it and i agree that uh barrow's art i i didn't i meant to look up but i didn't uh to see who like the who is working with on the uh detective stuff because I I feel like it, it might just be because it's uh, anthology work and you know maybe maybe he's just not getting as much time or not as much effort. You know, but you know this doesn't it hasn't quite had the same pop as his detective stuff did. I'll, I'll agree with that for sure. Uh, what I'll say for this story that I I think is is important to say is that. This story may not be working 100% as a as a as a comic that you pick up and read in the moment, but you both kind of hinted at how this is maybe a necessary thing for the Jason character just in in the bat books going forward just to establish a little bit more of a personality besides just being the brooding gun-wielding member of the bat family, right? And so I I think that this might be an important chapter in the Jason saga when we look back on like the, the Jason stories of the 2020s right but that that doesn't excuse poor poor execution here i just think that it's doing good stuff for the character even if it's not necessarily doing it within the confines of a totally successful story i i think i think that's a good way to look at it uh, we'll see about that too this could be sure sure you know <laughs> this could be a uh just a you know a really uh a really out, a big outlier you know in 10 years time the other thing i wanted to say was that i feel like one of the things that i've noticed within the infinite frontier books and i wonder if this is just something that i have picked up on or if it's something that is is going on outside of my brain is it just me or has has bruce been not that bruce was ever not principled but we've all we've all read comics and seen issues where where Bruce has beat the crap out of a hood to get information or whatever. Does it seem like Bruce has been more principled over the last few months and and trying to be less violent, or is that just something that I've kind of picked up on my on my own? Uh, I I think you might be onto something there, um, and I think it's it, if. If it is a deliberate attempt, or if it is maybe just like a kind of unintentional trend, um, you know, I think it's kind of, as, as we kind of discussed last time I was on in regards to Detective Comics, you know, partially a kind of how do we, you know, not to sound like, you know, too cliche, but oh, you know, the idea of Batman is problematic. How do we kind of rehabilitate it and such? Perhaps there, perhaps there is like, you know, some more like, uh, subtle redefining of the character that's kind of going on subconsciously in that regard. I noticed it in this issue, but I I wonder how much in this issue 
that's just played up because Zdarsky is trying to show the difference between Bruce and Jason. Sure. Right. So, uh, but I, I, I noticed that I think just lately we've just seen a more principled, less violent Batman. And again, I wonder if that's that if that's conscious or not. But I do. I've had that thought, not about this story, but um, uh, like with the Black Label stuff, I, I, I have had the thought where like I wonder if DC and you know, granted they've ramped down there black label output quite a bit but um i wonder if they made a conscious decision to keep that the brutality more in the black label book and then kind of tamp it down in the main line but i don't i haven't expressed that opinion because i'm not married to it because i i also think like you know these these comics have done quite a bit more like uh swearing and stuff like that too i've noticed and so like it's it's not as if they are trying to necessarily pg these up you know um so i i don't know that i totally agree with even my own interpretation of that but the um, could could be onto something the the sort of cynical side of me feels like that this is warner (laughs) brothers decision of like well we're living in an era where you know the police are being questioned for their tactics more than ever. We have to make sure that Batman is squeaky clean with his tactics. Otherwise, people are not going to read Batman stories because he oh, is. No. Part, but but I, I think that's giving way too much credit to yeah. DC. <laughs> yeah. For that, so. um, all right. Well, that brings us to. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, before we move sure. on. Yeah. Doesn't the, doesn't the Robert Pattinson Batman trailer like feature him basically uh, smashing a a. a petty crooks face in I believe isn't, so, isn't there yes. a scene where he's just so, like yeah. he's just like yeah anyway moving on <laughs> so are you're saying that the robert, robert pattinson batman is a black label batman i'm saying yeah i'm saying once that movie comes out all of a sudden batman is going to be an absolute psycho in these books again for, <laughs> okay. for corporate synergy yes of course um that only makes sense all right so next up we have a, a lady shiva one shot written by uh, Shay Grayson, illustrated by Alberto Jimenez, Albuquerque. And um, I don't really know what the point of this was. I, it's uh, the art is is wildly inconsistent. There are some some Buzz's girlfriend panels here. Just just some <laughs> really, really. Just, I, I don't I don't get it, man. Uh, uh, it feel the art. The art felt like very like early aughts to me at some oh, point. Yeah. It reminded um, me of bad TMNT comics. <laughs> uh, just yeah, I, I did not, I, I did not appreciate some of the art decisions on this. Um, and the story itself was just, I feel like, it, and we'll talk about this with something else in a little bit. But I feel like somebody, somebody walked in with a pitch and was like. What if Lady Shiva is feeling bad about her life? And then no one said, like, we need more to that. It just said, done, print it. <laughs> and then they had to fill, like, nine pages or whatever it is with that story. There's really no development here. It's just, it's, I don't know. I, I did not care for this at all. Did, did either of you guys have a different opinion on this? Not particularly. It, it was, like, maybe slightly below average. I wouldn't say it was, like, notably bad. But, I mean... 
and as you said, we'll probably talk about this with some other stuff later when we get to that uh, anthology. Like, I get I get these kinds of stories. You know, we have these ones where it's like, oh, hey, it's Lady Shiva. Remember Lady Shiva? Um, and we have like, you know, a little bit to kind of like have like a little bit of just like an emotional vignette is what it's supposed to be. Yes. Uh, but it just didn't really like work. Um, I think perhaps too much time was spent on them fighting which you know this is lady shiva that's supposed to be the thing but it just yeah the 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 emotional core of it didn't really do anything for me it didn't really feel authentic yeah no yeah and it it felt even less authentic when and and walter you probably haven't read this but the most recent outsiders run which gets referenced in this story like there's an editor's box saying like Hey, whatever she's talking about here is referencing the the final issue of that Outsiders book. This exact same thematic element of Lady Shiva c- confronting Bruce about uh, taking or adopting Cassandra or whatever was all played out in Outsiders. Mm. And, and so, so if you didn't read that, I guess that that is, this is fine, you know. Um, but if you did read it this entire story is like playing out a conflict that's already happened. And then it very much comes off as, well, it's kind of like how like John Stewart, the green lantern, like what's the one story beat everybody knows about him and they have to constantly reference it and retell it all the time. It's the Zanchi thing, yep. right? Mm. Well, this comes off as that, like what's the one thing we know about lady Shiva? Oh, uh, cause she's Cassandra's mom, you know? <laughs> And like, it, it just feels like a retelling of the same. Like anytime she shows up, that's what this is going to be about now, I guess. Um, and there's no real way to to move her character forward. And I don't think you, I don't think you do move her character forward in an anthology book like this. Sure. But then what you're left with is what Walt said, which was just like, "Hey, remember Lady Shiva?" <laughs> like, and that's all this story accomplishes is reminding you. That she exists, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'll hear that. Speaking of Outsiders, the next story is the finale of the three-parter Outsider story by Brandon Thomas and Max Dunbar. So the sort of like the drive of this three-part story was, what if Black Lightning and Katana were fucking? And then this issue is, psych, they're not. <laughs> Why was this a three-parter? What was this? Um, well... It was it definitely still was not as good as uh, the future state iteration of the Outsiders. No, which was great. Which right. was great, and this was the same writer. So the the one thing I can say about this is that the little teaser at the end that promises that there's more, and uh, and hints at a, like a surprise future member. I, I'm intrigued, even if I didn't like this anthology mini very much because I, I do think we've seen Thomas write these characters uh, strongly before and I'm, I'm willing to take another shot. You know, it's just that none of this really did anything for me. Well, I, I thought this was fine. I thought it was like, you know, average, a little bit above average. It sounds like a, it's still not a lot, but it still sounds like I liked it a little bit more than the both of you. Um, I, I agree it isn't as good as the uh, future state stuff. And, and if I'm, this is a different artist from that, correct? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, you know, so much of what made the future state one good is I, I forget who it was, but whoever it was Sumit was Kumar. I yeah, Sumit Kumar. That's right. That's right. Kumar was just outstanding in that. Um, and Dunbar is fine, uh, not particularly notable, but I mean, I I don't feel like you know too much about like oh why was this a three parter? I think this is as long as it needed to be. That doesn't mean it was like you know great. It doesn't mean it used it all like you know perfectly but i thought it was fine um i i like the as far as i'm aware i haven't read a lot of uh, metamorpho comics but i thought that it was a fun idea that i assume was original to this of uh how if metamorpho has like too many changes back and forth you kind of like it, it's like size gets thrown off that was like a kind of <laughs> fun idea um yeah, again I, i'm not sure if that's if that's original to this or not but it seems original to this yeah it's written in a way that feels original all i really know about it metamorpho for a massive throwback uh before this was a show is the metamorpho uh theme song <laughs> which uh, chad bowers sang on the hour cosmic that's correct yeah exactly <laughs> this is the story of the element man anyway um, metamorpho metamorpho um <laughs> So yeah, I'll I'll read you know, or at least check out the first issue of whatever's coming next. I think there's there's enough going on here, but I it's not See, great. I, I like these characters a lot. I just felt that this story was nothing. That that's sort of my especially because I I was coming into this so excited for what the Outsiders was in Future State. Um, sure, I'll also be interested to see if the next thing that comes leans more towards that you know we've seen now in action comics and in green lantern that we're starting to get some of these stories that maybe didn't work so well in future state but we're starting to see a bridge to those future state stories and so maybe this will be maybe this will be a little bit better received as part one of a of a journey to that status quo sure um all right and then finally in, in this issue we have uh grifter Written by oh, Matthew, our favorite. Yes. Written by Matthew Rosenberg, illustrated by Ryan Benjamin. I literally have nothing to say except meh, whatever. Yeah. Benjamin does a pretty good Jim Lee impression, but yeah. Which that is like, that's Ryan Benjamin's uh, role at DC for the last uh, <laughs> 10 years, I feel. Like, follow up Jim Lee and hope nobody notices that he only did a half an issue of the promised opening arc that of whatever book he's working on. Did, did he, did he wind up? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Vince, I, I will, I will owe you a Coke. If you can tell me the name of this book, what was the new age of heroes book that Jim Lee was supposed to draw? And immortal man. Up, was it immortal man? And he did, and he did the, like a third of the first issue. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. He was supposed to do the first arc. I believe it was announced as the first arc. And then it was, well, it's three, it's going to be three full issues. Mm -hmm. And then it was literally half of the, it first wasn't even issue. half. It was like a third. There were two other artists on that issue. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. If, if, if I recall, and I, I think Benjamin might've been one of the artists on that. Oh, for sure. For sure. He was. Yeah. I, I don't know that there was a third. You're probably right, but I wouldn't be able to tell you who it was. Even if, even if I'm not right, it feels right. It's, it's truthy to quote yeah. Stephen Colbert, right? <laughs> uh, it, it, it's truthiness. It feels, it feels right. Um, all right, well, let's let's move on to. Well, hang on. Sorry. One one thing one thing I want to say about the Grifter story is like, <laughs> it made me appreciate. I 
like how like of this particular era of comics that this is from that the Wildstorm stuff is from is like this golden time in media where like whether it was video games or movies or comics every character's name was like Cole or or Lynch or Cash or Chance or or Kane, you know, it was all, it was just these like very hard sounding short names. Oh yeah. Every protagonist was named Cole. Yeah. Cole, and... Cole cash is like the most nineties protag name. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, I love it. What a also, stupid time. If Warner brothers were smart, they should make like a new Venmo competitor called Cole cash. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the next cryptic. Like, it's this cryptocurrency, yeah. Yeah, we're not gonna let. We're not really gonna let Dogecoin, like the 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 New World Order, is not gonna, the deep state is not gonna let Dogecoin go to the moon. But they are gonna invent WB cold ca- cold okay. cash. Yeah, and that's gonna be the real crypto that makes it. it. It's it's only traded on an app called Grifter G R I F T R. You know, and, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's move over to this DC Festival of Heroes, the Asian Superhero Collection number one. Now, I want to talk about this macro before we dive into the stories here. First of all, I think that it is obviously a good thing that DC is attempting to, in its publishing line, represent a more diverse set of characters. I don't think there's any argument to be had from any of us that is going to disagree with that. I also think it's good that I went through the, the creator list before, and there are 11 creators in this book who are doing regular work at DC. So it's not like they had to open their Rolodex and realize, shit, we have no Asian creators. 11 right. of these folks are doing regular work. Maybe not every month, but they are they are a part of DC, or at least a part of just like the mainstream comics world that we see their names all the time. There are some new names here, and I'm also glad that those new names are getting exposure in a book where somebody might be picking it up because of a Gene Yang story or a Greg Pak story. And so I think that that's a good thing as well. I also think that this shows that there are a fair amount of characters who are of Asian descent in DC Comics, even if a lot of those characters are not always portrayed as being of Asian descent. I'm thinking specifically of Damian Wayne, which sometimes sometimes he is styled that way, sometimes he's not. I'll also say that of Connor Hawk. Um, you know, as you sort of get various degrees of ethnicities with, with those characters. So I think that overall, like from a from a um, point of view of trying to present a progressive product that is acknowledging the on, the on page and off page contrib- contributions of Asian American characters and Asian characters in general, I think that DC deserves a tip of the hat for this. I will say, however, I really wish that the stories in this book were allowed to be something other than I think what Walt called before uh, sentimental vignettes or emotional vignettes. Like, I wish that there was a chance for some of these things to be a little bit more than just like an object lesson. Um, sure. Do you guys have any thoughts along those lines? Yeah, I think that I think that the distribution of pages was a little bit weird. Like, so for example, we'll, you know, we'll get into the individual stories, but like I. I liked the uh, first one, the Tamaki Toe one, but it was one of the longer ones in there, if I'm not mistaken. And I think it could still be a, a really good one with like a page or two shaved from it 
it could still be really good. Whereas others, you know, uh, like, you know, at least one was only three pages. I think there might have been another that was that short as well. The there Dustin Wynn one. The Dustin yeah. one and um, the Green Lantern one were both yeah. super short. Yeah, that's the yeah the the win one was the other one I was thinking of. The in the win case I didn't care too much because it's just an excuse to show off win art. So, but um, you know I think that maybe like you know different like an the allocation of pages could have been a little bit different to and without it being really to the detriment of the stories that were already good uh, too much and to give those ones that were super brief, you know, a little bit more space. Um, Cause especially since two of them were exactly three pages, that makes me think that it wasn't like, Oh, here's like a three page script I've come up with. It was, Hey, can you write a three page script or can you trim this down to three pages or something mm -hmm. like that? Mm -hmm. It makes it seem very deliberate. Yeah, part of me always wonders, and, and I will never know like the real behind the scenes of it, but we hear stories through the grapevine of like stories that writers and artists maybe just had tucked in a drawer somewhere until it was convenient to use them. And I, I almost wonder when they put these anthologies together, like are some of these stories that were, were already somewhere and so it didn't really, whatever how, whatever length they were didn't really fit with this project, but thematically it did. So it got thrown in here. Um, I always wonder about stuff like that. I, I think your point is uh, well taken. Well, I think, I think it's true. Like the page allocation definitely felt off and I always, I always wonder why that is, but um, yeah, it's interesting. All right, well, let, let's go through these, these stories pretty quickly. There's a bunch of them. We had the first story, Sounds, which is a Cassandra Kane story from Mariko Tamaki and Marcus Toe. Uh, Walt, you said you enjoyed this story, correct? Yes. Yeah. I would say it's probably probably my favorite. I mean, I've I've been a big fan of Marcus Toe since, you know, Red Robin. Um, Hell yeah, baby. You know we love and that Red Robin run. I, I know, I know. And I think that uh, Chang is a really good fit uh, on colors as well. It seem, There seems to be a really good chemistry there. I don't know if they've uh, worked together before. Uh, but Cheng's uh, styles with the colors seem to really fit Toe's uh, style and line art. Um, it, this felt very like uh, late 90s, early aughts DC, which, you know, we, we've of course had Cassandra and things since then, but in particular, like, you know, bringing up, oh, you know, David Kane and all that, I feel, granted, I haven't read as much uh, DC comics of the past decade or so as you guys, but I feel like, you know, we kind of forget that aspect of like who her father was and all that this did like comparing this to the shiva story i don't think that this really uh I, I still don't think this really like did anything new but it just felt nice you know yeah i mean it helps that it looked really nice right yes <laughs> the, the the toe art is really really good here and i also feel like Cass is a character that oftentimes is the supporting role in a story so it's nice to give give her a story where even though it's a small relatively slight story to give her the spotlight a little bit's a good thing mm -hmm. yeah and i i think the other key thing that made this uh, particularly strong and a little heartwarming is that they paid attention to her um challenges when it comes to speech right yes um there are there have been writers 
very recently um, that just completely drop that aspect of her character or don't pay attention to it, you know? And I'm not really sure why that is, you know, an explanation is never given. And I feel like, I feel like that is an important part of her characterization. I think that's uh, an aspect of inclusion in comics that can be better, you know? And and so like, I feel like she's the perfect character to do that with. And I, I think sometimes writers just, uh, work their way around it or plow right through it and don't even, they just write her like a normal character, you know? Yeah. I think in, in future state, she did. And there was, as far as I can remember, there was no storytelling reason why, but she just spoke like any other character. She didn't have a unique voice, you know? And, um, I, I think Tamaki did a particularly strong job of sensitively, telling a story like this so yeah it was nice yeah I'll, I'll agree with that as well um all right so then the second story in the book is the aforementioned green lantern story with the Ty fam who is a green lantern that was introduced in an all ages uh green lantern uh, ogn and this is the creative team that was on that book ming lei and trung Lin win and um this is really really short like you said three pages long there's not a ton going on here. It's a nice moment of we get to see Ty as uh, we, we, a little bit of, of sort of his family life and his sort of full-throated embrace of his uh, of his heritage, which is nice. Anyone yeah, yeah. I mean, it was nice to see, you know, particularly in anthologies like this, you get artists with a style who you normally might not see in a, like, quote unquote you know mainstream dc book now of course these uh ones that get sold at the scholastic book fair probably outsell most uh actual comics but you know what i mean yes yeah um and so like you know neat different style not much else to say about it i think um i'd 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 certainly it, it does make me somewhat more interested to perhaps see some other work from uh win but otherwise you know it's it's fine. It's there. Yeah. You know, I think there's there's a lot of stories in these anthology books, and I don't necessarily mean this one in particular, where the story is really only trying to accomplish one thing, but the creative team is given like 10 pages to do it, and it can be a little overlong. I actually appreciate these ones that are like three pages long, and it's basically a setup and a punchline. And not I don't mean punchline like but it, this isn't a joke, but like it's not the freaking the, Joker. No, no, but or punchline. <laughs> <laughs> hubba hubba. Um, but the no, the the purpose of the story is just like the setup with the traditional Vietnamese garment, and then the punchline is you know the the main character turning that on its head and 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 showing a moment of strength against the bad guy or whatever. Yeah. And that's it. You don't need anything more than that. And that's and a good it, point. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like a lot of times, well, to your point, Walt, about how some of these may have been overlong or the, you know, the equity in page number wasn't necessarily there. I think for a story like this, three pages is, is beautiful. You know, that's, that's just such a great pithy thing that you can read and enjoy and nothing ever overstays its welcome at three pages. So, um, yeah, I, I, I was charmed by it. 
All right, next up we have um, the Connor Hawk and Keenan Kong story, Hawk and Kong, by Greg Pak and uh, Simit Kumar, who we talked about earlier as being the artist on that great right. Future State um, Outsiders book. Vince, you start us off with this one because you're the Keenan Kong boy. <laughs> Well, um, I, I I love to see I love to see my boy back. You love to see. Um, him. Yep, I love to see a LexCorp uh, robot dragon kaiju. That's fantastic. Um, this is awful of me, but I had forgotten that Connor Hawk was even of Asian descent. Um, now we haven't seen Connor in a while and, and I think, you know, like, uh, saw him in Robin last week. Yeah. I was about well, to that, say. That's, that's what well, I was just about to say, like us when, and when he showed up in Robin, there's nothing in that comic that immediately would make you say, oh, he's a, he's part Korean or whatever he is. Um, I think Korean, right? He yeah. says yeah. Korean. Yeah. 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 There's nothing in Robin as of yet that would have indicated that. And so. I saw him here and I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. And I, and I didn't even, we've said earlier on the show because of Robin that like, I've maybe read half a dozen to a dozen issues of any comic that has ever had Connor Hawk in it. So I wasn't that familiar with the character. So like him showing up here and realizing that he is Korean is, uh, was interesting. I, I, I didn't know that. And I'm glad, I hope that that shows up more in, you know, Robin or wherever else he pops up from now on. Um, Cause I, I totally wasn't aware of that. <laughs> well, I don't mean? have much to say. I don't have much to say about the story aside from that. So, so Walter, take it away. Oh, you know, to steal a term you used for the previous one, I was, I was very charmed by this one. You know, it wasn't, there isn't like, you know, much of a story here, but it's fine. We get to see two characters. We don't see a lot of, anymore you know and that would be like you know kind of an unlikely combination you know it's hard to imagine like another situation where uh they would interact um it looked great you know as we said before about kumar on the future state stuff uh especially the way he like drew that like mechanical dragon looked fantastic uh yeah this was this was probably my second favorite after the uh, tamaki uh toe one um and you know it, it's a good example of like just very simple story with very good execution, I would say. You know, there there isn't there isn't much going on here in terms of depth, but it's just a fun little read. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I, I am I was instantly bummed out after reading this, thinking, oh, well, we're not going to see Keenan Kong for another year now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, probably. Uh, I was kind of bummed out about that. Um, it's also I I I am almost positive, and I have no way of proving this, but. I can't imagine that either of these writers knew that someone else would be using Connor Hawk <laughs> the same month that they were because the character <laughs> hasn't been used in so long. It's really funny that there are two Connor Hawk stories that could never be in the same continuity whatsoever happening in the same uh, in the same month. But yeah, this was fun. And like you said, Walt, it's fun to see these characters who you would never really think have a reason to interact. It's fun to see them interact with one another. So yeah, this was fun. Uh, next up is uh, a Damian Wayne story called Special Delivery, written by Aniz Adam Ansari and illustrated by Sami Basri. We just saw Basri in um, – oh, I, I think we're going to see Basri again in the um, – I want to say the backup to Superman maybe this week? 
Yeah, a Metropolis backup. Yeah. Um, This was fine. I don't have too much to say about this. It it, it was fun. I liked the... uh, There were some some good pizza jokes, I guess. But, yeah, nothing that sort of stood out to me too much. Anyone else have a note on this? No, that's Um, about it. I believe Damian Wayne is uh, being depicted eating a pepperoni pizza, and as we all know, Damian Wayne is a vegetarian. That is true. No, I don't know that that's pepperoni or what it is, but um, I actually... All we know is it's unpoisoned. Yes. <laughs> and terrible. <laughs> yeah. And from Comic- Comet Ping Pong, also. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but this this is, this one was weird for me because... This uh, anthology story was very much, hey, remember that Damian Wayne exists? (laughs) Which is interesting because he's in a comic every month, multiple times a month at DC. But really it is is just serving to to be like, hey, remember who this kid's parents are? (laughs) And uh, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, It it, it doesn't feel like something that we particularly need. And it also just like, well, it's, fun enough like it isn't necessarily particularly notable either no. right it's fine yeah um yeah. I, I actually didn't there. notice that bossery was on that uh superman backup because i i liked i think i probably liked the art most in this um very expressive and dynamic and all that but as we'll get to i didn't well i mean i probably wouldn't have mentioned the art at all in the backup because i thought it wasn't very notable but in in this case, yeah, I thought it, I thought this backup looked good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next in this anthology is the Cheshire Cat story, not to be confused with Cheshire, the mother of Roy Harper's late daughter. Um, this is a different character introduced in the uh, Catwoman run that uh, it started pre. Infinite Frontier and Continues Now by Rom V. And this story is written by Rom V and illustrated by Audrey Mock. Um, I, again, I don't have too much to say about this. It was, I think if, if you're reading that Catwoman run, this was probably more enjoyable than if you weren't. But it was a, a fine, unoffensive story. Walt? Yeah, this feels the most like, you know, with, with a lot of these anthologies, you typically have like, you know, most stories, as we say, it could have been something that someone pulled out of a desk from years ago. This feels the most of its like time in terms of publishing. You know, it's it's essentially part of Romby's Catwoman, and you know, it's it's again to sound like a broken record. It's fine. Um, I think that Mox Art was pretty neat, um, but I, I you know not much else to say about this one. I don't think. Yeah, I I loved the art in this. It it reminded me of like a like a modern indie comic, um, hmm. which I appreciated. I, I think it looks great. I think Jordi Belair's colors are like you didn't even have to tell me that Belair was coloring this to look at it and know like that. That's how iconic uh, Jordi's colors have become. But like particularly pop on these pages um, with this great art. And that was really the the selling point of this story for me. Um, I did like the very good lettering uh, thing when 
when Selena's imitating Bruce and they give the little bad ears to yes. the balloon. <laughs> that was that was fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, lots of good little details in this. That. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right. Next is uh, a story that I, I think the title has to be a reference to the movie Seven. Um, <laughs> what's in the box? It's a, a, a second a second Cassandra Kane story, along with a character that pre-show we had to look up the name of. His name is Colin Wilkes. Uh, Vince, what was his what was his unfortunate code name? Abuse. Abuse. Uh, this was written and illustrated by Dustin Wynn. It looks beautiful. It's really a nothing story, but that's fine. It looks really yeah. nice. I'll, I'll take it was ridiculously good. Yes, I, I will take these three pages any day over almost any other comic in front of me because Wynn's work is just, you know, Italian chef kiss emoji. <sighs> Remember when this art was regularly appearing in monthly DC comics? Can you believe that that was ever right. happening? <laughs> Incredible. Yep. All right, moving on. <laughs> uh we have uh, a story featuring Grace Choi and Thunder, as in the daughter of Black Lightning. It's called Family Dinner, written by Alyssa Wong, illustrated by, by Sean Chen. When was the last time we saw Grace Choi in a comic, guys? <laughs> you guys would know better than me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure she appeared in some New 52 comic that was getting canceled and we just fell off of and didn't read but i have to say the last time i read a comic with grace Choi in it i think was pre-flashpoint <laughs> well so i i was doing some digging before and i don't know if she ever appeared after um after flashpoint Really? Uh, she was on she was yeah, in the I be surprised. she was in the Smallville season 11 digital comic. Oh. Ah. That's a thing that happened. So on a technicality I'm correct. No. Yes. <laughs> um but um she is a regular character on the Black Lightning TV show. Yeah. So I'm sure that's why she that was included makes sense. here. Uh, and, oh, I'm I'm looking at her favorite website, the DC Fandom Wiki right now and uh and your Last phone of... is on fire because those <laughs> fandom sites are just the worst. Yes. Yeah, I mean, all kinds of porno pop-ups are happening right now. Um, no, you won't uh... last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Are, are there single moms in your area looking for love, Vince? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know if 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 uh, if if Walt's voice was the one saying you wouldn't last five minutes, uh, I definitely wouldn't. So oh, yeah. too kind. Um, no, but uh, Batman and the Outsiders issue number forty from August twenty eleven. Uh, that was the last would've... month before Flash. It was the last month before the New Fifty Two, rather. Right. So it it looks as though she didn't have a post flashpoint appearance, which is wild because so many times when you talk about these characters that, that went missing or whatever, you don't remember them in the new 52, but then you'll look it up and like they were in like one issue of, uh, Gail Simone's secret six revival that you never read, yes, you know? Right. Yes. Um, but 
I guess I guess she didn't appear anywhere. So this appears to be the the first time since. Yeah, it, it's funny to hear Black Lightning be like, "So you guys met as part of the Outsiders, a team that I am far more associated with than you are, and have been." <laughs> and, and have See, been that was something the headliner I was of. By, but I just chalked up to like, oh, I'm kind of out of touch with you know what's going on at DC lately. Okay, no, so he, she they were both members of the uh, Judd Winnick like. Uh, Infinite Crisis era outsiders. Oh, that run. Yes. That's, now that you say that, I've read some of that, and now it's starting to, like, you know, make some sort of... Huh, interesting. I believe that's when Roy Harper was leading the outsiders? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so I, I, he's referring to that, but that was almost 20 years ago, and he had a right. book out last year where he was the star <laughs> of the outsiders. So it's just a funny little bit of cognitive dissonance there. <laughs> Um, this, but, uh, this issue, this issue also looks like it's pre-Flashpoint. Yeah, yes. like this is what comics looked in that, like in that era. Yes, uh, but this was fine. It was fine. It, it it felt like the most like there wasn't really anything too special about the writing or the art in this. It, it nothing, nothing like it particularly stuck out to me. I think, and, and then you know. It, it's one of the longest ones in there, which I it thought... It felt long, yeah. It did, it, it did feel long. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, next up is Red Arrow in... And I'm going to need my, my manga, my more manga uh, literate boys to pronounce the title of this. Uh, Walt, take it away. You're the you're the manga club boy. That would be a Kawaii Calamity. I, I, I wasn't sure it wasn't, it wasn't Kawaii, because typically two eyes, you get the extra, like space there but i know that's a that's a relatively common manga term so i figured you guys would know it better than i would right uh written by sarah Kuhn, and, yeah and you're, you're, by... you're just a baka gaijin <laughs> brian sure um <laughs> uh, written by sarah Kuhn, illustrated by victoria ying um <laughs> i can't I hate to keep saying this is fine but like it's a dream it's cute whatever yeah it's it's cute and again like kind of a uh, I said about the that uh, one Green Lantern one. It's nice, like you know, that this is like art that you wouldn't normally see in this, in, in like you know a, um, in a monthly DC book, and so it, it's nice for that reason. Um, but otherwise, it's yeah, just a yeah. thing. <laughs> yes, agreed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so up next we have. One of the weirder stories in this anthology. It's called Festival of Heroes, written by Amy Chu, illustrated by Mar- Marcio Takara, who I know I have gone on record as being a big fan of in the past. Um, this is ostensibly a katana feature, but Cyborg and Blue Beetle are just as much a part of it as Katana is. But she is the only character of Asian descent, only superhero of Asian descent, rather in the in the story. Um, Blue Beetle really felt to me like it was supposed to be Beast Boy but for some reason they were told they couldn't use Beast Boy so they used Blue Beetle like he, the, the way he interacts with Cyborg his obsession with food all of that is very Beast Boy-ish I, I think you're absolutely right I didn't pick up on that but yeah and I, I, I feel like this might be a little bit uh, craven but they were like well, we need we need a character of a different ethnicity, and Beast Boy isn't enough isn't ethnic enough. So let's put Blue Beetle in there instead. He's young; he likes food, right? 
Like it just it just didn't feel like a really it didn't feel nothing about that that part in the script felt like a Blue Beetle story. Yeah. Uh, this also isn't very good. Uh, this no. is one of, one of my least favorite stories in this anthology. I, I agree. I understand that it was trying to bring home a very important point, which is that there are people who are shitheads and who are against immigration and who are racist towards people of Asian descent. All of that is very good. This is just a very bad story telling that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it felt very like, you know, uh, 70s Marvel in that regard. Um, just, yeah. Yeah. Bit, there's, bit there's, on the nose. Yeah. There's really no subtlety. Every, every, every character uh, just states the theme of the story to the reader in, in like the broadest terms. Right. Um, I'm looking at a quote right now where uh, Katana is saying your sophomoric attempts to hypersexualize me and my Asian sisters are, which is obviously, that's obviously a thing that happens for sure. Like I'm not, not trying to minimize that at all, but like so much of the dialogue is, is that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, speechifying this thing that, was already already evident on the page, already evident in the the, the villain being who they are, you know, and um, it it also it also does the thing where it tries to make the characters the it tries to make the villains seem really evil by having them use racist slurs, but since they can't use really offensive racist slur, racist slurs, they just sound like I don't know like fucking Don Rickles in the 60s saying like flied lice like that those nobody nobody who was trying to insult an Asian person in 2021 would ever pull that out but because they don't want to be really offensive they go for this like half offensive stuff and it just it just reads really awkwardly you need you need to see the real thing Brian is that what you're saying (laughs) no not at all (laughs) trust me my high school was was about 35 percent Asian I heard enough of those slurs going to high school yeah so you know absolutely yeah um but yeah Uh, one of the stories that I, I enjoyed even though it did seem a little bit of a forced sort of moral at the end was the next one which is the Adam story called Perceptible it was written by and I'm going to totally fuck up this name so I'm just saying that up top uh porn sock Pitch it, shoot. I have no idea if that's the proper way to pronounce it. The, the writer and uh, Alexandra uh, Tefanek. Again, I'm probably getting all that wrong. My apologies to everyone involved. Um, I, I like Ryan Choi as a character. Uh, he was the best part of the Snyder Cut. I'm kidding. Nobody would ever say that. Um, but I, you know, we we don't see Ryan Choi a lot. I always like an Adam story. It was fun, and I like seeing. Bruce Wayne portrayed here as somebody who is trying to solve a problem, not as Batman. We talk about this all the time, but again, it was a little bit ham fisted at the end, but I did enjoy this story. Vince, what'd you think of this? Well, I actually think, I actually think this wasn't as ham fit. Like, I think it's a very elegant, I think this is what superhero comics are great at, which is like, um, okay. The Adam is a, a guy who shrinks down to a microscopic size how do we take that and we apply it to a theme of um, the Asian superhero celebration and, you know, uh, if not overt racism, this like accidental racism, right? Um, Are you I talking think about it's... the hit Toby Keith song, The Accidental <laughs> Racist? 
Um, I believe it was uh, Brad Paisley. It was Brad Paisley. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, don't, who, don't step to my country knowledge. Who was the rapper on that? Was that LL Cool J? Oh, probably. <laughs> probably. I believe so. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, uh, but I, I think it's a really elegant way to, you know, it would be easy to be on the nose again to apply this to a really overtly racist uh, villain the way that the previous story was, you know. But I feel like this, you know, highlighting, like, the invisible ways that people are overlooked, right? Um, and even applying kind of uh, an economic issue to that as well, you know, is is kind of a, a really elegant way to approach this story about uh, a man who can become tiny, <laughs> you know, literally. <laughs> um, I think, I think it worked really well for me. I think this was a really great, uh, clever bit of writing. Well, no, I think, uh, Vince hit it. Like, I think the only, the only part where it like kind of gets a little bit too, like, you know, um, too overly scripted is i think bruce's lines about you know what can i do to fix this or whatever that was the only part that like kind of felt like a bit overdone otherwise i, th I thought it was yeah a good especially compared to like the previous one like this, this this was a good example of how you can like write that kind of story and still have it be like entertaining and interesting mm -hmm. All right. Well, um, that brings us to our last story of this anthology, which is also the debut of a new character, the Monkey Prince. The story is called The Monkey Prince, His Superheroes, written by Jean Lu and Yang, illustrated by Bernard Chang. Um, I wanted to like this more than I did. And and for, for me to have a, um, <laughs> an, an opinion that isn't like, fantastic on a story that involves not just Captain Marvel but also Dr. Savannah knows that you know that it's it's leaving me a little bit cold but I I didn't dislike this character I just feel like I wish for for a story introducing the monkey prince we got more of sort of who the monkey prince is I liked at the end how he goes to school with Billy Batson and that there might be you know, this might be a a place to sort of have those characters interact again I liked all of that but I just felt like for an introductory story, there wasn't enough of that character. Um, I mean, I, I like Bernard Chang's art a lot. You know, I uh, I, th I thought this was th this was fine. Yeah, I I think that this I'd, I'd certainly be interested to see. You know, once we get more of it, what what it's like. Um, the thing that I think that was like the most fun idea very and it's very brief in it is the idea that like his parents are just like goons, but like they seem like nice goons, um, but they are just like, you know, super, super villain goons. Um, that's a that's a kind of fun dynamic, a fun kind of like twist on like the whole like idea of like, oh, my my dad's a super villain or whatever. That's been done a, plenty in like, you know, the realm of superhero comics, but, you know. My my parents are just flunkies. That's that's a fun, cute idea. That's what I'm like most interested in to see 
as the ser- as like you know it gets whether it's its own series or a one shot or a mini whatever it is to see more of that um that was the thing that kind of stuck out to me most and again as you said bernard chang's art super good vince yeah i i'm just thrilled that uh, goku is finally in the dcu um and we will get to find out if goku can beat superman um once and for all that's right and uh, and oolong is also there <laughs> oolong was here as well brian has no idea what i'm talking about <laughs> i know who goku is Oh, good. Yeah. Yep. But, do you, but do you know why Goku is being invoked? <laughs> Isn't that like a classic online dipshit argument about Goku versus Superman? Yeah, but but in particularly, uh, Dragon Ball started as a very loose adap- uh, maybe not adaptation, but a very loose retelling of uh, Journey to the West, which the monkey. Oh, uh, I was not aware of that. Came right. from. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, Plus the tale. Yeah. No, I I. I found this to be charming. Um, it kept me a little bit at arm's length with the kind of the, the brashness of the main character. I, it was it was kind of over the top. But then I remembered that I felt the same way about uh, New Superman in the first couple issues where like in issue one and two, he was definitely made out to be more of like a brat or a dick than he would eventually become. And so I don't really want to make the same mistake here in thinking about this character, just that like, well, I'm reading it. I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is a little over the top um, with, with kind of how uh, brash and kind of, kind of dickish he's being. Sure. Um, but I think you know that that can easily get turned around in a, in a way that's as thematically satisfying as New Superman was, and so I think you know same writer. I'm not going to make that that judgment uh, too far in advance of you know whatever comes out of this. Um, I love that that not only is DC like adding a hero to the canon um, that got like front cover billing right like isn't isn't the the monkey prince on the cover of this as far as like new character alert or whatever i want to say the cover says like featuring the first appearance of the monkey prince or something like that right and i I think he got his own variant cover nice like that um and but not only that but like as you said brian is literally a faucet city character now so has the potential to even if um even if they never get like an actual series out of this is a character that could potentially show up in future uh, Billy Batson appearances, which I think is, you know, that's a corner of the DCU that you don't expect new characters to be added to. Right. Um, right. Just mm-hmm. for, for, for sentimental historical reasons. Uh, and I, I like that they did that. I think that's, I, I loved the fact that he spent the the first part of this issue embodying shazam because uh it kind of threw my brain for a little a little loop there like i I wasn't sure what i was reading at that moment and i I like when comics surprise you they they still do have the capacity to surprise you sometimes so can we actually talk about this cover for a second everybody pull up the cover to this book all right there's (laughs) omac on the cover (laughs) yeah and there's no omac we don't see there's cheshire not cheshire cat but Cheshire, uh-huh. who we don't see in the story, 
Who yeah. is that to to her right or left drinking like a, a Slurpee or something? Hold um, on. Who is that? Supposed Whoever to it is, they're not in the story. And then who is to the to who is between Cass and Red Arrow? Oh, that's um, that's the new Cheshire Cat character. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. All right, it's just funny to me that there's there's three characters on this cover we never see. Yeah, and technically we do see Omac as uh, somebody wearing cosplay at that the is festival. True. Yeah, that's what I. Festival of Heroes. Does, uh, does that count as an appearance? I don't know. No, it doesn't. But... When I when I was doing my big Shazam read through that I, I paused for the summer to do a JSA thing. Um, I had used the, the aforementioned comic book DB as a website, as a resource, and they list every appearance. So yeah. I, I read like many comics where I'm like, where's Captain Marvel going to show up in this? And then, oh, wait, it's Halloween. Someone's wearing a Captain Marvel costume. <laughs> Oops. So, um, yeah. That does, normally they're good about like it's not uh, stuff like that. Like they, because they track like what specific, or they tracked RIP. Um, like specific like versions of each character and so i wouldn't be surprised if some uh, very detail-oriented person was like captain marvel parentheses kid in costume right <laughs> you would occasionally see that um but yeah uh yes anyway quick th- quick wrap-up thoughts on this anthology walt what did you think of this we should also note the price for this what is this um i should probably know that offhand um you talk about it while i pull up the price no, I, I thought that this was uh, good. I th- I think it was more auth- it, it was authentic uh, compared to like you know how you might expect something like this to be. Kind of as you said that these are a lot of folks that do get regular work, um, and, and so like I, f- I felt like it, it's it, it's a better example of this kind of thing than I've seen in a while. If that makes sense. Is it a ten dollar comic for you? Whew. Maybe not. Is that how much it is? Yes, it's nine ninety nine. That is a bit much. It's steep, I think. It's steep. Vincy? Yeah, I think um DC has gotten pretty good at these lately, and I think that that spills over here. There's a lot of good talent here you know there were one or two clunkers in here but i think on the most part uh, for the most part it was um kind of a solid celebration of these heroes um certainly it's not you know dc didn't uh, fix racism or anything <laughs> but uh <laughs> but but you know it, it is nice to see um and uh yeah, like Walt said, the opportunity to see some artists that you don't see elsewhere, that's the big selling point for me. Is it worth $10? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what comics are worth these days. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like just yesterday they were uh, holding the line, and, and then it was uh, $3.99, and now I, I have no idea. So, um, I used to rock and roll all night and party every day. Then it was every other day. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> well, so, let's leave it at that. Exactly. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will be more brief with our discussion of the rest of these books. So stay tuned. So you see. 
Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with a discussion of Future State Gotham number one, written by Joshua Williamson and Dennis Culver, illustrated by Giannis Milono Giannis. Walt had DM'd me this week to say he had not realized this book was in black and white, um, which was one of the weird decisions, but they, they, they did just announce that early on. And I thought that was especially odd because I loved the colors in the Future State Red Hood story. But um, to me, this is simply a delivery system for Milono Giannis art. I think the book looks really, really nice. I really don't care what happened in it. It was fine. It wasn't It wasn't bad. It was a continuation of the Future State sort of status quo for Jason, which... Again, wasn't super duper interesting, but wasn't wasn't terrible. Um, but the art is just you know, the art is a selling point for me, and so that that's what I'm going to continue to look forward to with this comic is just the artwork. Um, any anything to say about this book, Vincey? Um, well, I, what you say about the art is exactly right. This is just a delivery system for that. As I'm reading it, I'm going, oh, this is just. Milano Giannis doing Akira with DC characters. And then, lo and behold, <laughs> there's a backup, uh, a Batman backup done by Katsuhiro Otomo, um, which is wild to me. Um, well, well, I think this is actually from like a uh, old issue of Batman Black and White. This is def- the the backup is a reprint. I'm like 95% certain of that because I've seen that first page a bunch of times. It has oh, never to be be, because the cover, the quote cover for the for the um, the backup is also by Mobius, who is long dead. Yes, yeah, so, that, that is right. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think. Hang on, I'll look this up while you guys talk about it. Plus, plus, translated by Joe Duffy. I don't think she does any work at DC these days. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. Regardless, like. It but was yes, still yeah. it was still uh, quite a surprise and and it made total sense and um yeah like storytelling wise like I I don't know I'm I yeah. don't really need to, I don't need to see more future state stuff at this point and of the future state stuff this was probably some of my least it would be the least thing I would clamor to return to the Jason Todd stuff Mm-hmm. Yes, but, this is from issue four of Batman Black and White from '96. Oh, That's nice. what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's one. quite good to look at. Um, but yeah, story did nothing for me other than the 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 wonderful wonderful art. Well, I yeah, I'd say pretty much the exact same thing. Um, you pointed out the fact that <clears throat> the colors and lack thereof it's interesting because i think that one of the best things that the future state slate of the bat books had going for them was that very like you know 
cyberpunky, uh, very fluorescent uh, neon kind of look that was cohesive across the books. And so obviously that's lacking here. And weirdly enough, the uh, the Red Hood one that um, Milan, sorry, Milano Giannis, Milano Giannis. I keep forgetting the second O. Um, that that one had a slightly different palette compared to everything else. It did, but yes, but yet it all still feels like like even though this is purely black and white, it still evokes a similar feel to those uh, other um, future state books in that regard. You know, it has that kind of uh, grimy. Uh, you, you can like hear like the synth pop blaring. You know, as you read it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it, it it looks great. I will continue looking at it. Whatever the story is, it's fine. But it's mainly, yeah, just looks so good. I believe this initial arc is um, six issues. Okay. And I, I think it's supposed to focus on a different Gotham character after Red Hood. Mm. So I'd be interested to see if those other stories would be as enjoyable because, like we said, this is just about the art. Yeah. But uh, Milano Giannis did a Hellboy pinup for us many, many years ago. And that's when I first mm-hmm. became aware of him. And he has done a bunch of TMNT comics. Yes. Um, but I, I hope he does more at DC because this art is just amazing. Oh, so good. I actually paged through this issue like four or five times over the last week just because I wanted to soak up more of the art. It's just fantastic. Um, well, that brings us to The Joker, number three. Written by James Tiny the Fourth, illustrated by Guillaume March. Walt, we haven't talked to you about the Joker yet. What are your thoughts on this series thus far? I, I'd again agree with pretty much what you guys have said in the past that I think this is so much better than I expected it to be. Um, and you know, I, I really don't think I have like too much. I either both like from myself of like what I what I'm bringing to it compared to what you guys have discussed for and as well as both in terms of this particular issue um not too much new to say about that the one thing that i did uh note in this one was you know we're talking about colors uh those uh rf prianto colors in the beginning kind of flashback going for the style of the original killing joke um it's always been like, you know, somewhat like a point of debate how, you know, Bolland went back and, you know, recolored it. And like, you know, it's Bolland's choice. You know, he's he's the the line artist. And if he felt that like, you know, a different palette uh, would better suit what he was going for, that's his choice. But at the same time, I think like the extremely like saturated colors of the original are so iconic um, and I love whenever anyone brings them back. I, I know that uh, uh, who who was the who was the colorist um, of the Capolo Batman stuff? Placencia. Yeah, I know that in like the Year Zero stuff. I think he was deliberately trying to echo that as well. It's just a few page, but it's such a nice touch, especially because it contrasts so severely with the rest of the issue um and there's in fact i think there's one point where like he's 
seeing like his reflection or something. And so like the, and he's seeing his past reflected and the way that those kind of play off of each other. Um, I guess the other thing I would say is that at the end of this issue and like the last couple of pages, it does kind of uh, zig where I expected it to zag. I just as much as I wasn't expecting this to be like actually a Gordon book. I also wasn't expecting it then to become a Gordon Joker team up book. Um, (laughs) So you know, I, I think this just continues to be, honestly, one of the best books of Infinite Frontier. Um, and yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. Vince? Yeah, it, better than it has any right to be. Um, I think like it's become a cliche at this point, but yet it's also perfect that this story sets up uh, a hero doing an unlikely team up with the dang Joker? <laughs> like, like literally every Joker story ends up being, you wouldn't believe this, but the Joker has to team up with Batman. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they're doing it again with Gordon, and that's, I, I think that's that's great. It's it's like, it's kind of owning the cliche, right? Um, it, it shouldn't work, but it, but it kind of does. Um, yeah, I, I think seeing Gordon out of his element a little, it's it's very weird to have this like, uh, uh, you know, s- sexy benefactor or whatever, telling giving Gordon a blank check to to island hop and buy himself some nice uh, pants or whatever he wants to do, and it's just it's it's interesting to see this buttoned up character out of his element. Um, it's interesting to see like Steph Brown and Cass playing the small roles that they're playing in this. Um, uh, there's a there's a Lady Bane in this, and uh, it's it's all good. <laughs> Everything is good. So, um, yes. yeah, way way better and wackier than it has any right to be. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad that you said Walt. It zigs where you expected to zag because. I thought that this issue, this book would have 12 issues of Gordon and the Joker just missing each other. Right. You know? And here we are in issue three, and they're teaming up. That's great. Uh, yeah, literally face-to-face. Yes. Uh, I also I noted that this issue is mostly a monologue that Jim is having with himself, and I usually hate that in the comic, but Tanya makes it work here. I don't know if it's just because... Because because of that inner monologue, he's able to get through a bunch of stuff without it dragging down the story. Like, for instance, there's the scenes where he's buying drinks for everybody and getting information from them. If you mm-hmm. tried to script that scene, it would be four pages and it wouldn't work any better than this issue works. Absolutely. So, you know, it's just it's a shortcut a bit, but I but I appreciated that, even if I typically don't like that. Um and Plus, I think he just has such a strong uh, voice for Gordon. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And also, you know, I, I know that uh, Gia March's art is not for everybody, and I think it's not for every title, but I think here it is just such a perfect fit for this book. I think he draws the the, the scenes of Gordon, like you were talking about, Walt, the sort of the flashback scenes and just the little hints of Gordon seeing different reflections and just – basically showing how the Joker has permanently fucked Jim's life. I think all that stuff by any other artist wouldn't be as effective 
as it is by March here. It's great. Yeah. All right, let's move over to uh, Justice League Last Ride, number one, written by Chip Zdarsky, illustrated by Miguel Mendonca. Vinci, you're the Chip Zdarsky hater on the show. I don't hate Chip Zdarsky. <laughs> um, this was... This was okay, but I think Tom Taylor kind of has done this sort of thing pretty recently. And I don't think Zdarsky has found a, a fresh enough avenue to it, I think, for me to really love this. Also, the art was nothing to write home about. Like, I think Miguel Mendonca can, like, tell a corporate comic book story perfectly fine, but there's nothing, you're not coming here for the art. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're going to do kind of this uh, Elseworlds DC kind of thing, I really want the art to sing too to get me to, to care about it. And so I, I, I didn't love this one from a creative standpoint. And then, you know, there was nothing novel enough about the story to really get me invested in it. Um, you know, there was some sort of falling out with the Justice League. Lobo killed the new gods, or at least he's um, being blamed for their deaths. Uh, Martian Manhunter's dead, and you you kind of pick that story up as you work your way through the issue. And none of those revelations are so earth-shattering or unlike anything we've seen before that that it really did anything for me. So, I don't know. Walt, Walt uh, what do you think? Well, you know... I if, if you're the Zdarsky hater, I've been one of the people who's been like, you know, cheerleading his kind of turn to like, you know, doing more kind of uh, quote unquote serious superhero comics. You know, I'm a big fan of his uh, Daredevil, though I did fall off as soon as I saw there was a uh, King in Black tie in. Um, <laughs> but I just thought Not a this fan was... of uh, Kamal, huh? No, um, I just thought this was completely uninteresting, completely forgettable. I will just i i don't see what the point of this is other than giving us Kilwag in a hoodie which is very cool <laughs> um the pretty much the one thing that i uh was like huh that's neat and it's Kilwag in a hoodie otherwise i just thought this was i i i don't get it like why why is this a thing it doesn't really feel like when it's when it's set off as its own mini series, it feels it's feels like okay, this was like pitched as kind of like something new, something different. Um, that doesn't like you know, it's not just a story that we're just gonna like tell in the pages of Justice League to like fill out a three issue gap between writers or something like that. You know, this is I don't know. I, I just didn't feel I didn't get a feel for why this exists, you know? Yeah. The only way this could feel more like a digital first comic is if the pages were weirdly cropped, like the yes. digital first comics are. There's just nothing of note here. I kind of well, think now idea... wait a minute. It, it was supposed to be a digital first comic. Yeah, it was. Yes. yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Um, the only thing of interest here to me, I'll say, is that um, we can. Uh, 
I think we can admit it would be kind of fun to have uh, the moon, the new Oa. It's kind of a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's terrible. But that's it. That's all yeah. I have to say. Moving on. Superman. Yeah. Number... Sorry. Go ahead, Vincent. Anything, anything um, else? I did have something, but I can't think of it now. So it obviously wasn't that important. But okay. uh, Superman 31, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, illustrated by Scott Godlewski and Norm Rapmund. Um, I feel like last time Walt was on, we talked about Action Comics. Is that correct? Yes. And in that book, we felt like we were we were finally starting to see like sort of the the big picture of what maybe Philip Kennedy Johnson is doing with Action Comics. Now we know that Superman is wrapping up relatively soon. It's going to launch a John Kent solo title, and boy, does this feel like marking time until then. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. I like the point that this story is trying to make. It's trying to show that John Kent is capable and worthy of the Superman name. I like that. I just think that the story itself is not doing a very good job getting that point across. Um, and it's kind of boring in the process. Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I thought that pretty much the one thing that I was like, oh, that's neat, was like this idea that like John's using his heat vision differently. That, that was a kind of a neat idea. Um, and I felt like, I, I will say that I felt like the John-Clark relationship maybe felt a little more authentic in this issue than like the previous couple. But yeah, this is, especially now that we know the news, it, it, about that we're getting the John Kent comic that'll replace the series just called Superman. It, it yeah, th this is just a, a story that exists to keep the periodical called Superman publishing until the next volume. Vince. Yeah, this is just like the biggest news at DC right now. Um, and I hate to say it because I think like, Technically, Philip Kennedy Johnson is a, a strong writer, but like, yeah, whatever, I don't know, whatever, whatever lore he's trying to build in the Superman book right now, kind of out of whole cloth here, all these original concepts um, that he's trying to imprint on the book, none of it is really sticking for me. Like, I, I can't. I can't really tell you what makes this the the Thacromites or whatever they're called uh, unique or interesting. This shadow breed uh, enemy—it's just another just another thing that possesses you and like makes good people evil, I guess. And, and it's just you know, it's it's all been done so many times before. I, I kind of wish he was just using existing IP to tell this story too. I know that's kind of a weird complaint, but like the longer I read comics, the more beef I have with like, uh, creators in adding to the lore, inventing new villains that are just stand-ins for things that already exist in the universe. I feel like, you know, that, that was Bendis's tack with Superman. Like I'm going to invent some villains that, that really don't do anything new or interesting um just to try to imprint my own 
mark on it and you know like like he, he can't make fetch happen like it just doesn't happen so. i will not stand for the slander of rogelzar <laughs> yeah uh, and that's why i like that's why i'm interested in what philip kennedy johnson has going on in action because i think like there with the last issue you're seeing him take mongol as a concept and put his own spin on it and and maybe make it into something a little more special and i think that that when you're talking about not that creators shouldn't try to invent their own ip and add to the but i just think like th- these thacromites this lore it's it's really a snooze and it's it's nothing we haven't seen other um elements in this universe do the exact same thematic stuff with so to me it it, it it's super superfluous in that way yeah I, I think that's fair i think all that tracks uh we also get a backup in this uh loose cannon and gangbuster written by sean lewis illustrated by sammy bossery um i am the uh the resident 90s superman uh stan on the site I really enjoy the like the Louis Simonson stuff that was happening right before and after Death of Superman, and a lot of those comics featured a lot of these characters. Um, right. The original Gangbuster, not this, uh, the niece of the Gangbuster, I believe it is, um, and uh, you know everyone's favorite character, Bibbo, those type of characters. You know, I, I enjoy all that stuff, and so I really want to like this. I really want this to be my shit, but it's just not that good. I really wish it was better. It's not doing anything all that interesting. Um, not to say that I don't think it could be fun if it just turned up the silly the silliness a little bit. But right now, it's it's playing it a little bit too straight, in my opinion. Yeah, I I agree. I think these have been getting incrementally worse, and it wasn't even like the first one was great. I'm yeah, I'm. Let's just say like you know I'm I'm. The next issue of Superman, I was probably going to skip and just wait until the Taylor stuff. And I'm certainly not going to be continuing just to continue following this backup. You know, it's yeah. there. Yep. Um, Projectors is nice with it, though. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> I, guess I was going to say, I thought that was implied uh, in our review here. So um, last book of the week. Wonder Woman 772, written by, Be- by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, illustrated by Travis Moore. Walt, Vince and I have been on sort of opposite sides of this book. I have not been super sold on this concept. Vince likes it a lot more than I do. Where do you fall in this new Wonder Woman status quo? Oh, I don't I don't care for it. I don't like this characterization of Diana very much. Um, this kind of like you know she she's very much with the, with this like lacking her memory and everything and this will probably change going forward but you know she's very tabula rasa you know not we don't get much diana there you know as much as they refer to her by her name um in this she just feels like a very blank character in this and you can say that's partially by design or whatever but i i just don't care for it i'm not interested in it um and the art 
uh, by Moore is it, it's technically impressive, but particularly like, you know, the, the, the people I feel are often like have like a kind of uh, vacuousness to them. Um, I, th- I think so much of like what does make this stuff uh, pop off the page is uh, bon violence. Uh, colors are do a lot of work in this. Um, it's very vibrant and that makes it like a little bit more interesting than I think it might otherwise look. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much over this. I, maybe I'll give it one more, one more issue, but I am just very uninterested in what's going on. I don't find the story too interesting. I don't find Diana's characterization, uh, to, to my liking. It's, you know, and it's not even like, you know, everyone, the thing that everyone throws around is like the Jason Aaron Thor stuff, whatever. Like, you know, I, I only read up to the God bomb stuff. Maybe it's more like that or past it or something like that. It, I just don't care for it. Vince, tell Walt why he's wrong, even though he's clearly very right. No, he's not wrong. He's, um, he's, he's making very fair points and honestly um by the third this is the third issue of this right correct Correct. yeah i think i'm kind of over it at this point and i think that this is this is like um such a common issue with decompressed corporate comics that we talk about all the time where like i was into this concept for like two issues I, I i'm willing to see a third issue and then i saw the third issue and i said okay I, I guess i've had enough because this is it feels like it's just dragging out the same sort of thematic elements plot points past the point of uh them being novel or interesting um i, I i'm kind of done with it i i kind of i wish it would I have I still have faith in this creative team. I really liked the first two issues of this, but I'm ready for the next thing now. And I and I I think that about most comics, most storylines I feel should be like two or three issues. I can already see this dragging um into a five, six issue arc. And you know, Walt is right when he says that this isn't really diana and i can see like coming out of the um death metal stuff if you want to do the tabula rasa thing with her for like again like an issue or two and then she ultimately finds herself or whatever but but at now at this point i'm convinced that it's just sluggish it's it's kind of dragging its way through this and um i am ready for whatever the next the next thing is um so yeah i'm Go ahead. I I was going to say, I feel like, you know, I understand the appeal of a Tabula Rasa type story, but we've seen it so many times. That is one of the most overused bits of of modern comics. that, That story is constantly being used. But also, there seems to be a hint here that we are going to see Diana in in another sort of reality like this one, perhaps, that maybe she is sort of going to be skating between 
different afterlives looking to get to Olympus. And if that's the case, that could be a really fun story, but we don't need three to five issues of her and Valhalla. One would have been plenty. Right. And or I even feel two, like, you know, two, wait, two, two sure. is like fine to like do the whole like, oh, here's what it's like. But then, you know, cliffhanger of like, oh, things aren't quite what they seem and then resolve that and then move on. Right. The end of every other issue of this run should be the end of every Quantum Leap episode where she is now in a new place and she says, <laughs> yes. oh boy. And then it says created by Donald P. Belisario and we move on. Um, there's just no reason to make this as long as it's been. And yeah. like I thought when Dead Man showed up, I'm like, oh, he's going to pull her out of this and we're going to get out of this place now. Nope. Dead Man was yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's what I was like. Yeah. You know, yeah, when he appeared, it's like, oh, okay kind of get we're finally getting a move on but then that just kind of no <laughs> nope so yeah um this is this is rough i i i was i expected a lot more from this creative team it might have been you walt somebody asked me about how this first issue was and i had said it was kind of meh and i think it was you that said like yeah, the the gulf the gulf between writer Clunan and artist Clunan is one of the like steepest in all of comics. When there's somebody who's who's a writer and an artist, I don't think that Clunan's writing has is anywhere close to her art. Well, so I I would qualify that it, it's my point was I think when I brought that up, my point was that when she writes the stuff that she draws, like okay. Like like her mini comics, they're all fantastic. They're all yes. so good. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, I should clarify. I'm I'm talking about when she's not doing both things. When she's just the writer. Right. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like yes. you know, like I, I I want to like the stuff that she writes just because I love her art so much. And it's like, oh, I want you to be good at that too. And I know that like from her like mini comics and stuff, like she does good stories and. But just, yeah, I just feel like nothing she's done when she's been operating just as the writer has done anything for me. It's a shame because you would hope that um, that she, because, you know, it, artists have to work so much harder than writer, than writers do in terms of just producing monthly comics. A hundred percent. So to see a, a an artist be able to get some work and gain some notoriety for something that is less taxing on their time and on their physical just state, you know, I I root for those folks all the time. Um, so it, it's a shame that her that her strictly writing stuff isn't as as good as her as her uh, writing and art stuff. But then again, you know. This just isn't very. There's just not. There's nothing to write home about here. No. So. Well, Vincey, what's coming out next week for us? Ah, shit! You really got to start uh, reminding me of the thing I'm supposed to do <laughs> every single week. Every single week. Um. You're gonna have to edit this out because I don't know how fast I can. They don't have it in our box yet, Brian. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, but you know there are there are websites for this. Mm, are there? Hang on. No, that's cool. I got them right here. Oh, that's okay. Cool. Well, 
why don't you why don't you do your thing well, i mean do your thing i'll do your thing yeah. sure um we have not read the batman uh fortnite comic yet much to my chagrin <laughs> kidding yeah, kidding yeah he sucks. um yeah no uh next week we have catwoman number 31 flash 770 justice league 61 Legends of the Dark Knight number one. That is one of the, uh, I believe that's digital first series, maybe? There are so I, many fucking bat books right now. I think all those digital remember. first series are, are getting turned into non-digital firsts. Well, all, yeah, I think I think that's the case. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, this is a, a Derek Robertson cover, it looks like. And, and I think he's writing and drawing it. Okay. Uh, we also get Nightwing number 80. Uh, and Vincey, tape down your boner. Wonder Girl number one next week. Jesus. Awooga. Okay. <laughs> Very classy. Hey, you are you are on record as being the Joel Jones boy. I'm I'm the Joel Jones boy for sure. So, well, Walt, thank you again for joining us. We always appreciate it when you stop by. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, where can folks find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter at goodbye to a shoe. And uh, what's going on with, with Manga Club until Zach's back? What's going on with Manga Club is next week, Emily and I are going to be talking about the uh, One Piece movie, Strong World. You know, there's been a few of them, but that's one of the ones that Oda was most directly involved in um, rather than just kind of going like, yeah, sure. Um, he like made the story for it and uh, had some other like oversight. Uh, so we're doing that as a little filler while Zach is out. Uh, and then, of course, we're always or almost always at the beginning of the month uh, talking about Shonen Jump. Did you see there was a, a new Shonen uh, book kind of surprise drop? Yeah, today? from the Tokyo Ghoul guy. That that was just uh, this morning, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So I haven't I haven't read that yet. Um but yeah, that was interesting how it just kind of appeared. Yes, I will be writing about that for this week's column. Oh, okay. Instead of uh, candy, whatever. Yes. Sweet. Yes. I You're... forget what it's called. It's weird. You, you, are, you, are, re- you are revealing my uh, my strategy here of shit I have to cover for Zach. What has the least amount of chapters I have to read to write about it? So <laughs> Zero is the least amount. Yes. So here we are. Here's. Here's the secret, Brian. You don't have to read all the. You can just read the most recent one, and then you can bullshit your way. I respect our our readers too much for that. But if if you want to disrespect them like that, that's cool. Jesus, you do. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the kind of uh, websites that 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 these people read? C- CBR. Well, I, you think I, you think they have respect for their readership? <laughs> do you, like do you the... want? Do you want a yacht or not? <laughs> It, it was easy. It was easier when it was still in like the like magazine format where they had like the brief recaps. That's the one of the things that I think that they kind of uh, miss in this format is that they had like you know typically like one paragraph that was kind of like a series kind of recap and one that was like a more recent stuff. Uh, and as far as I know, they don't do that at all anymore since right. moving to this new format. Yeah. yeah, you have to go to the fandom wikia now. Fuck that. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, two-thirds of us are on Twitter. Zach said on Twitter at Wilker Fox, I'm at Brian Dizanap. If you need Vince, he is on the DC Wikia. He is uh, struggling to read anything over the thousand pop-ups. But let me tell you, 
he's tempted to click on some of those pop-ups. He's <laughs> his his mouse is hovering right over it. So uh, my mouse you know, is hovering. That's right. He's he's fact checking all the characters' feet sizes. <laughs> Please show me your feet. Yeah. Please. He's a good boy. Show him your goddamn feet. I'm confident you'll make the right decision. I've already looked at your socks. <laughs>